0: So I think that hope needs to be more than wishful thinking too, and this is one of the problems is we've been assaulted by what I call the Disney myth, you know, of just sort of hope as a magic, uh, instead of hope as a constant attitude and action in a direction of a
1: changed future. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with my co-host David Bloom. Hey, hey, I'm excited for today. I've long admired Danielle Strickland, and she's on the podcast today. We just had an amazing conversation and I've just always admired how she is winsome and she is hopeful about how she's bringing justice and helping to mend divides and she just has some really cool opportunities to do that literally all over the world and um is you know shares about some of her time in the Middle East, shares about some of the things that she's learning. And uh, many people who are fighting in the name of justice uh, tend to do so with just anger. Anger has a place, but I just appreciate it when people come in with a balanced perspective, they're going somewhere. She is a leader, she is hard charging, and she doesn't mince words about that. And yet she does it in a way that has this hopeful posture. David, talk a little bit about posture and why it's so important to, to
2: have the right posture even when we're fighting against hard things? Well, I would put it kind of in these these two categories that we want to seek justice, right? And sometimes we want to seek retribution, you know, that kind of justice, whether it's maybe vengeance, we're angry, we're bitter. And I get that. I get that there's a, a real, you know, motivation for that sometimes. Um, but here's what I think reflects more of the kingdom and more of Jesus is restorative justice, that there is justice. We should seek justice as people, who follow Jesus, but it's in a way that brings restoration, that brings people together, that there's peace, shalom, whatever you want to say, that there's a wholeness to the situation rather than more division. So when there is a posture of justice that's restorative, I think that draws us to people like that, that draws us to people like, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., who had a restorative vision of justice in mind. And, um, you know, history remembers those people very fondly. Versus retribution. And unfortunately, it's really easy to go down that road of retribution over restoration. That's a good word. And I personally look to follow people
1: who understand both sides of that, you know, who understand there's a problem here. I mean, we're calling it out. There is an issue. We need to talk about it. But it isn't just about the what, it's about the how. The how matters a lot to me. How do we posture ourselves? Are we open for conversation? And that that's actually what Danielle does. She goes into environments that need tending, that are broken, that need peacekeeping and peacemaking. And she goes into those spaces, brings leaders in to listen, to listen to the locals, and is actually reshaping people's uh, minds and hearts on these topics because she's. Listening. They're listening to Palestinians. They are listening to people on the ground in these places. So, so much to teach there. Today, the topic is Better Together, her new book on males and females how we have to come together, and not just for the sake of coming together, but if we are going to be a redemptive agent in the world, if we are going to bring justice, if we are going to bring mercy, if we are going to present truth in a way the world hears it, we simply have to come together as males and females. This is a conversation I'm having more and more with my wife. This is a conversation I'm having more and more with my daughter as I see just strong leadership gifts in her. I know there are various perspectives on this, but we really, we don't talk ecclesiology and, you know, how the church should structure none of that in here. We're really talking about how God has built males and females to be part of his restorative mission in the world to make all things new. So enjoy my conversation with Danielle Strickland. Danielle, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, you have had a lot of just really cool and really unique and diverse kingdom opportunities. Can you share uh, some of the things that you get to do on a regular basis and maybe even some of the highlights uh, that you've experienced along the way?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, these rage, I mean, it's a crazy question because we could be here all day just talking about this, but Uh, They range uh, kind of from stopping human trafficking uh, prevention campaigns, so speaking, inspiring and leading uh, teenage girls, basically, to uh, spot the signs of trafficking before they're trafficked uh, and to be part of the solution, and uh, to, like, Israel-Palestine trips with female leaders uh, challenging sort of some of our perceptions around peacemaking and how to make peace in our world today and the complexity of that, but also the invitation of that. To like, you know, one of my highlights in the last year was in uh, Austria, 10,000 Catholic kids just like living, wanting, inspired to give their whole lives to Jesus. And, uh, you know, in an old ancient cathedral, but this like full on generation that just wants to follow uh, Jesus with all their hearts. So those are just a few off the top of my head, but just uh, such a pleasure. Uh, I often just pinch myself to say, like, is this really happening? Am I really uh invited into all of
1: this it's so beautiful mm, yeah how did i how did i get here how did i land in that well we love it danielle uh, my mom actually had the opportunity to go on one of those trips and so uh, not only are you inspiring um, teenage girls but you are inspiring my mom who is uh, a mother and a grandma uh, to people following after jesus so thanks for all of your work um, you write you speak you serve the church in so many different ways Is there a core message or a through line to all the work that you do, Daniel?
0: Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I hope the core message is Jesus uh, all the time. (laughs) And, uh, but I also think for me in this season, particularly, it's really a message of mobilization. I just think we live in unprecedented times for the opportunity, for the message of good news to get to the whole world. So um, for me, my theme the last couple of years has been like, how, you know, like, actually creating momentum and movement towards kingdom living.
1: That's good. That's good. Well, we're going to talk about your book, Better Together, How Women and Men Can Heal the Divide and Work Together to Transform the Future. I love your posture in this book. It's not just so we can get along, but it's also so in process, in route, we can see amazing kingdom things come together. And really, as I read through this, I think a vision for men and women working together. We need this so much, a practical vision for that. So um, talk about the burden for this. I know that it is a big deal to write a book and that this was a hard book to write for you. Where did your burden come from to write this book?
0: I mean, you know, this is a fascinating question because I think it's probably been in me for some time. Um, I've spent 25 years working with women, trying to get them out of sexual exploitation and just listening sort of to sort of the horror show of uh, of the every type of man uh, just really being uh, abusive and harassing. And then, you know, driving home and uh, I have a house full of men. I have three boys, uh, children, and a husband who's just fantastic. And I just, you know, and so sort of this like uh, tension between these two narratives of my life have been fascinating uh, for me to grapple with. But really the catalyst for the book happened when I was invited to speak at the Global Leadership Summit, uh, just right after Bill Hybels had been uh, accused of a bunch of harassment and sexually and power abuses, and as a male leader, and just kind of in the season of the Me Too height where, you know, we were just watching man after man after man after leader after leader after leader, just kind of like dominoed, uh, not just outside the church, but also inside the church. And so there was this like really tense moment at the Global Leadership Summit asked if I would come speak and address kind of the issue, the elephant in the room, not the details of Bill Hybels, because I I wasn't privy to that and no one was at the time, but the details of like the message about men and women and how we're going to deal with the season. And so that was really the catalyst. And as I said yes to that, you know, it just it was riddled with controversy and people had a lot of opinions friends would call me saying, you know, you can't do that. And this is crazy. And you can't speak on a stage. It's built by misogyny, you know? <laughs> and I remember saying, you know, can you point me to another stage, <laughs> but also, um, wow. but also just like, I, I realized if this is such a tense thing just to do a 27 minute talk to leaders about men and women working together in sort of this context, how much pressure is there on this subject all together. And then as I researched it and tried to figure out what to say, I realized there was so much more that needed to be said uh, that couldn't be said in 27 minutes from a platform. So that's really the catalyst of the book was like, what if we really could talk about this and get to this? And what if we really viewed this, not through the lens of fear, but through the lens of opportunity and invitation, what might it change in the world? And it just felt like right time.
1: Mm, So good. Thanks for letting us into that, kind of peeking into your story. You see so many painful realities across the globe. How does your heart stay tender, Danielle?
0: Yeah, you know, this is interesting, but I have my whole life I've spent sort of in the trenches, you know, like sort of in urban communities, uh, great uh, pressure and poverty and uh, injustices. And I think the invitation, of course, is to harden and uh, harden yourself. And I'm sure like uh, over many different places, I've done that just uh, as a survival mechanism. But in reality, the way that I keep my heart soft is to let it break. Uh, You know, the, the founder of World Vision, you know, that's his famous quote, isn't it? May my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. And you have sort of these options to kind of wall yourself off and like retain composure or to actually go into Uh, brokenness and we see you know even the the example of one of the greatest leaders who's ever lived Jesus who allows his heart to break you know he weeps regularly he rejoices and he mourns and he's like fully emotionally alive so I feel like a broken heart it can be a healthy heart it doesn't have to be uh, without hope in the world and where I think that gets safe to allow your heart to be broken is is with God so to lean into God so like Prayer has always been a feature of my life, like spending time with God, like trying to create and carve out places where I'm with God and I could just have a good cry uh, with God, allow my heart to be broken, let it stimulate me to express myself somehow in the brokenness of humanity.
1: Mm, Because one of my concerns is how many leaders get skeptical and even cynical. And I don't hear that in you. I don't hear that when you speak. I don't hear that when you write. And you have this phrase that you seek to be strategically hopeful in this conversation. Can you tell me more about that?
0: Yeah, look, I think hope is a currency of change. Uh, It's an eternal currency of change. So that, you know, I used to, uh, we all went through that season in the church where, uh, you know, one thing remains—the song by Jeremy Riddle, which I really love, and it's—it's it's love. You know, never gives up, love never fails. But in the scripture passage, he's quoting, of course. It says there's three things that remain, and it's—it's uh, it's faith, hope, and love. And I think that those three things—faith, hope, and love—are the currency of eternal change. And hope is kind of central in this. If you can't imagine things changing, if you've lost the ability to think about the possibilities of of especially in the church of God's kingdom coming, but of a different future, then we've lost all possibilities of change. That's really cynicism is just despair turned inside. So and again, it's also that question you asked earlier, which is beautiful, where you wall off your heart by cynicism or disengagement. So I think that hope needs to be more than wishful thinking too. And this is one of the problems is we've been assaulted by what I call the Disney myth, you know, of just sort of hope as a magic uh, instead of hope as a constant attitude and action in a direction of a changed future. So I think strategic hope is that one being able to imagine the world being different and good and then strategic hope is like the attitudes and actions that will get us towards that future together.
1: Mm, that's good. We talk about ridiculously practical at Stay Forth Designs. How do we actually do that? And there's so many platitudes, especially for leaders today, that I hear so many people saying, how do you actually do that? So let's turn that question on to Ted. What are some specific ways men and women can actually work together right now? Get practical for us.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the first thing, and this might not sound as practical as we want it to, but I think we do have to start there. The first thing we can do is uh imagine the better world like what is it we're aiming for so i call it in the book starting with the future what's the future that you want what does your ideal future leadership team looks like look like so if you're looking around the table and you realize like oh wow everybody is the same here we all come from the same cultural background we're all the same color we're all the same gender then you 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 can identify whoa this probably isn't the best imagined future that i can uh that i want for my daughters you know what i mean for them to be locked out of leadership so one is like know what you're aiming for. What does the ideal future look like? If you need some help, of course, the Bible's full of ideal future uh, of mutuality and shared diversity. Uh, Galatians, you know, a beautiful passage is like there's no longer any of these divisions anymore. So what does that look like around the table? And I think if you can identify that, you can start with the future. Uh, and where you want to head rather than just kind of like deal reactively with what's in front of us. So a lot of leaders right now will go into this, like, what are we going to do about the harassment stuff? And I think there are some specific things you can do about the harassment stuff. But I would say even better question than what are you going to do with the harassment stuff is what kind of company do you want to be? Like, what kind of leadership team do you want to have? What kind of church do you want to have? Like, who's represented there? And then I would say, so start from the future. That's a just a, a really good Bible idea, by the way. Jesus does this a lot. He even taught us to pray this, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So... What are the values and the, the ways, the system that you want? Start imagining that. And I would say, dream that, like write that down somewhere. Like, and uh, on a real practical level, I would say, start with some quotas. So all of the research in terms of gender equity talk about 30% quotas. This is true of all diversity, by the way, but uh, oftentimes what happens with the women and men thing on a leadership team is if people just say, oh, we need a woman. So they'll drag a woman in and it creates... Uh, what's called an an only syndrome. So if there's only one woman on a leadership team that's primarily male, then that person is always the uh, dissenting voice. That person is always the only one with another uh, point of view. That person is the only syndrome. And those women don't last very long and they don't contribute very well. But the main thing is, They don't change the culture because to change the culture of a leadership team, which is what we're after, right? Because that culture eats everything else for breakfast is the famous quote. But to change the culture, all the research says you need 30%. So you need a you need 30% representation. So I would say to every leadership team across the country and every church, look for 30% representation at the leadership table. Because once you get to 30%, you get out of the only basket and into an actual cultural shift. And that's where the culture has to shift in terms of doing things differently, doing mentorship differently. That's when you run into kind of what we would perceive as problems, but actually end up being opportunities to change things for the future.
2: Mm, that's
1: good. Yeah, otherwise you have that token mentality that isolates. And like you say, it's just not effective. It's just not helpful. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what the fruit would be if we found mutuality and, and truly led together? What would some of those fruits be?
0: Yeah, I actually think this is endless. And I have a whole uh, chapter just on the statistics of this alone. So like the UN said, you know, if there was one millennial development goal that we could invest in that would change the world, it would be the equity of women, women equity. So even just economically, if women had equity with men, which is not only the uh, equality, but Uh, equality and opportunity together. So like they were able to sit at, at leadership teams or to work in the workforce at the same rate as men could right now in the world, we would add $11 trillion to our economy globally. So like, it's just mind blowing and all the experts. So peacemaking, if women are involved in the political sphere, for example, and they, and peace is made the, the rates of peace being held in that country go way up exponentially up. Uh, economic reform and business. You know, there's a famous guy, Mohammed Yunus who did this Grammy and he started micro lending uh, strategies for the poor. And he only loans to women because he said, whenever I loan to women in a poor community, the entire community grows together, the mutuality that exists and the, um, the way that women are able to collaborate and have had to collaborate in order to survive really lends well to good business practice. But this is true even in the family. It's true in parenting. It's true in relationships. I mean, it just goes on and on. It's absolutely incredible. So, in some senses, I think people have heard this message like, we really should change things for women because, you know, it's charitable and it's the nice thing to do. And I'm like, well, yeah, like, I guess. But actually, it's not a charity that we're asking for. It's actually a transformation that will help everyone. Everyone's going to benefit. So even major companies in the world right now, HSBC, Goldman Sachs, they've got these policies in place for equity, not because they're compassionate and loving companies, but because they see that this is a way of actually doing things so much better. So the opportunity, I think, for the church is even more important because we are able to reflect to a world that desperately needs it, what it looks like for the
1: future to come and the future to be good. Can you drill down a little deeper on that word equity?
0: Yeah. So um, I talk about equity as the ability to use equality. So I, in the book, I talk about how this, the difference between these two is really good, especially in Western context when women already have kind of in law um, equality. But I talk about how my son wants this toy of remote control car for Christmas and I get him it because I love him and I want him to have it. It's this beautiful gift and he opens it, but he, I don't let him take it out of the box. I just put it on the shelf and I say, okay, now you have it. You should be happy. But it's actually, instead of causing him happiness, I've actually tortured him because it's almost worse to have it and not be able to use it than it is not to have it in the beginning. And often in a Western context, specifically, this is what equality looks like for women. You have it by law, you have it by, you know, name, you have it by reputation, you have it in your own mind, but actually equity is the ability to take that gift and to use it. Uh, so it's a seat around the table. It's leadership opportunities. It's hierarchies that are open now for female participation. It's it's that uh, use of equality.
1: You have this this quote. It's beautiful. True mutuality is the original sacred design of humanity. And I think many of this many of us believe that or want to believe that, but are stuck right now in different paradigms and, and different thinking. So maybe a, a thought for male listeners right now. Um, what are some purposeful things male listeners can do to change our posture toward women?
0: Yeah, I think um, one is perspective. So I I talk a lot about seeing difference through the lens of faith instead of fear, because when you see difference, which is by the way, uh, difference is a human thing. It's, it's what makes us human. It's not just, you know, gender is one difference, but it's not the only difference. So I talk about how sometimes when I'm in a room with uh, men and women, sometimes I have more in common with women. And sometimes I actually have more in common with men depending on the people in the room. So it's less being less gender specified is actually helpful. So like even tools like grouping teams in, um, in indifference rather than in sameness. So, and, and this one is going to feel a little bit like um, how doctors correct a foot that is pointing in the wrong direction Uh, oftentimes to correct a foot, there needs to be a brace, but the brace doesn't just correct the foot in the right direction. It overcorrects the foot and it overcorrects the foot for a while until when they release the brace, then the foot is pointing in the right direction. And I think when it comes to practices, we need to overcorrect because we, our foot, you know, as it were, has been pointed in the direction of a male dominated world when it comes to leadership and particularly in leadership in the church. And so I think we have to overcorrect. So I'd say that 30% quote is a really good idea. But even like how you view women and if you're even listening to women. So I use this little model I present in the book called Listen, Learn and Live. It's actually from Amplify Peace, which is the movement that I do these global trips with. But it's listen to voices that you don't normally hear. And so this this is way more revolutionary than people understand. But like I even just this go look at your bookshelf right now. Who are you reading? Like name two female theologians that you've listened to recently, or uh, female voices that you're hearing, that you're learning from, or, uh, you know, the, the things you're listening to, the podcasts, have a look at them. Do they all sound the same? Are they the same voice over and over again that look like you, that talk like you, that come from your background? That's not actual critical learning or listening. So listen to voices you don't normally hear and then learn from them. Uh, Another uh, practical challenge if you're leading uh, right now and you're a male, uh, find the women who should be leading that aren't and listen to them and learn from them. Why aren't they at the table? Why aren't they leading with you? And this is a genuinely good question to ask. You know, why aren't you here? What prevents you from being here? What's happening for you? Because as you discover through listening, you'll discover the strat, the things that are in place that are invisible to you uh, in your own workplace and in your own context. And then uh, simply live. So listen to voices you don't normally heard, learn how to do things differently and then live those things. And then just repeat that and go deeper and deeper every time and live is just implement, implement, implement. Truth does not matter if it's not applied. All the truth that changes things is applied truth. So we have to apply these uh, sort of truths in our own practice.
1: Mm, That's good. So helpful and practical. That's a really good grid. I'll share that at the end of this podcast again as well. And we'll put it in the show notes. Um, Do you have some recommendations, Danielle, for besides reading your book, uh, some other females that males can be listening to in this area of equity, of mutuality, of uh, gender equity, anything in this realm um, that we can be learning from as males?
0: Yeah, look, there are so many. I would Google search it um, and I would ask around. And I think even the reason why I'm not going to fill in the blank for you is because I actually think you discovering that for yourself is actually part of the journey. So um, discover it. I mean, there's so many. Uh, honestly, to, to name one, I feel like would be unfair. Uh, put in a Google search there. Look in podcasts. Listen. And I mean, it doesn't even have to mean you like everyone, but at least listen with an open and curious heart about what you're. And I mean, the most powerful listening that you can do is a, uh, there's four forms of listening. Uh, basically simplified. One is downloading, and that's what we're talking about now finding some female theologians, finding some books that would challenge you in areas that you want to be challenged. Uh, and then, um, two, it's uh, dialoguing, you know, where we actually have a conversation. This is where you can actually talk to other women leaders and actually have some dialogue. There's debating. Which is this back and forth. And sometimes this can even be inside yourself, but just sort of like, have I believed this? You know, like one of the scriptural uh, things I talk about is in the creation account. There's only one time in the creation account where God says, wait, this isn't working. And the one time that God says, wait, this isn't working in the scriptural account is when man is leading by himself. And I don't think it has to do with, you know, him not liking men by any means. I don't think that's it. I just think it's that man leading by himself thing, that this is not reflecting the kind of leadership that God wants to reflect in the world. So that's when he creates women and they lead together. And I think it's really fascinating. If you find yourself leading by yourself, which think about all top CEOs, all like the senior pastor of every church, like I just think the whole model of leadership is flawed. And we're stuck in that part of creation where God's like, no, 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 not this, this won't work. So even just beginning to, and the final phase of listening is presencing, which is being able to walk a mile, you know, like our uh, indigenous friends say, being, being able to walk a man uh, a, a mile in the moccasin of somebody else. So really finding yourself in that situation, uh, how hard is this and how difficult is this? So there's all these different forms of listening. And I would just challenge everybody just to to Google if you need to, to ask some people. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we just took pictures of our bookshelves and shared it with some other folks to say, here's some amazing books. Just start recommending to one another books that we've been reading uh, from females that have been challenging and good.
1: Um, I know you do a lot of trips and head over to the Middle East, and you really embody this well, this listening and this presencing. Can you let us into what that looks like when you take a group of women over to listen to local leaders?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, this is fascinating because I, I mean, you say I do it well, I would say I'm still a beginner in this. Um, I mean, I'm an activist, and I'm a talker, and I'm a fixer. I want to get to solutions really fast. So listening is actually a real discipline for me. And so uh, these peacemaking pilgrimages have been real gifts just to learn how to be quiet for a second. And uh, I say the number one strategy for becoming a good listener is to get genuinely curious, like ask a lot of questions and be willing to be exposed as like not knowing You know, and there's a real humility when it comes to listening that we have to figure out how to practice in our lives. And even sometimes I'll say, I feel like I should know this and I feel a little silly for asking, but would you please explain this or what about this or how about this or tell me more about this? So I think a genuine curiosity and not just so that you can learn more knowledge, but that's so you can understand and love people better. So even to keep your motivation to really understand and listen and love and learn from people, I think that really matters.
2: Mm,
1: that's good. What are a couple of things that are encouraging you right now, Danielle?
0: I think uh, the hunger for change. Like I, I, the amount of male leaders that I've spoken to who are now saying yeah, I need help, like help me. And really that this book was really fueled by a desire to help people think critically through the season, identify the areas that need to be addressed and then get to it, get to work So I'm really uh, excited about the amount of churches. I mean, there's a couple examples in this book of male church leaders who looked around the table and said, whoa, this is not what we want. We have to change it. And they got really specifically to work to change it and have changed it. And they're so excited because they have. And not only they're excited, but their daughters, you know, their families, their wives, like everybody's excited at the the future of the church when this begins to happen. So I just, I have a lot of hope um, for this to be a strategic time and place where there could be a shift that would matter for the rest of the world.
2: Mm, That's
1: beautiful. Thank you for that. We had Katie Cole uh, on the podcast who's thinking as well, very strategically on how church teams can look different Points out some of the common flaws or issues that comes up with that, and gives us some really practical next steps. Uh, that was an incredible episode, and had some really good feedback from church leaders, especially on that. We always want to ask leaders about how they stay healthy uh, here on the podcast. So, this last question for you, Danielle, you're doing a lot. Uh, you've got three boys at home, um, and you are trying to stay healthy so you can continue doing this. What are some of those practices that help you stay healthy?
0: Yeah, I actually practice a way of life called infinitum. and it's uh it's if anyone's interested it's infinitumlife.com. and it's just a daily prayer and weekly connection and then monthly challenges. It's very simple. It's not complicated, but it's been a very beautiful practice of posturing my life every day uh, to be uh, to have Jesus at the center, to look more like Jesus and I I found that in my life I found I had this sort of like I'm a Jesus follower, which is this like big you know, broad, you know, there's this one date 27 years ago where I decided to do this. And but then I actually started asking my questions, but am I doing this every day? You know, is this a real practice in my life? Or is this just like a belief that I hold? And so I just started to practice uh, love and loving God every day. And it looks like prayer. It looks like a posture prayer I use. I surrender generosity and mission as a posture in a way, rhythm, sustainable, practicing prayer, and uh, really trying to uh, drill down into what love looks like in my life, not just for others, but also for me and also for my the people closest to me uh, and for God. What does it look like to actually love God and myself and my neighbor in real life every day? And so Infinitum Life has just been these rhythms and postures that have really helped bring a spirituality, but also a wholeness to my practice of following Jesus. Uh, it's been a game changer for
1: me. Well, Danielle, thanks for all you do getting in the way, essentially, for us to have to pay attention to this message. Thanks for the labor of love that is Better Together. If you guys are listening, go ahead and pick up a copy. Danielle, thanks for all you do and keep up the good work.
0: Uh, You got it. Thanks for having me. Bless you.
2: Another great episode. We pray that this time is kind of a respite for you to be encouraged, to be challenged, uh, and to, to lead with some maybe renewed hope in your life. And so thanks for following along with us. We could not do this without your support and you continuing to listen. So thank you for that. And we'll see you in the next episode.